Spirit, we do pray that you would lead us, even as we look at your word, that you would rest our hearts and restore our souls as we spend this time together. Amen. You know, I believe that this time that you have chosen to give in to God this morning, he does not waste that. This is important to him too, and, and I know that he delights in seeing us gather together like this. And we're doing that as we journey through this part of Luke's story of Jesus' life in a series we're calling Red Letters, where we're really focusing in on the red letters, the words that Jesus spoke, but also how as we hear those and as we put them into practice, our lives become letters, letters that can be read by other people from God to them because the people around us need to know him better just as much as we do. And in our study, we have come now as far as Luke chapter 8, and we're in verse 22, and if you open your Bible or you flip to it on an app, you'll notice here Probably there's a little heading above verse 22 that says something to the effect of Jesus calms the storm. Probably one of the most familiar events that happened in the life of Jesus. Only the people in the event, the people in this story, don't get that little header, do they? They don't know that Jesus calms the storm. All they know is what's happening to them. So listen to this. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling up with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was calm but he said to them where is your faith and they were afraid and marveled saying to one another who can this be for he commands even the winds and water and they obey him Now think about this moment that the disciples find themselves in. I mean, they have seen Jesus do miracles. They have seen him heal people. They have seen him cast out demons. They have heard him teach with authority. But now they're in a crisis. Now, these guys were experts. They're on the Sea of Galilee in this moment. And this is like where they grew up, where they lived, where they do business. They know everything there is to know about this sea. And the Sea of Galilee actually is small enough, it's really a lake, and that's why Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake. In fact, it it probably wasn't much bigger than this pond you might see out here. But this was their area of expertise, right? They knew what storms looked like, they knew how to traverse this water, they knew how to man their ships, they knew how to hoist those sails, they knew how to fish, they knew what they were doing. But sometimes it's in that area of expertise That place that you're not good, you're great. And you know exactly how to handle things. You've got everything under control. In fact, people come to you in that place because they know that you can figure this thing out. Sometimes that's the place where the storms of life come up the quickest, isn't it? In fact, on the Sea of Galilee, it was infamous for storms coming up quickly because the altitude on either side of the lake meant that they couldn't really see storms coming. And so if a storm formed on either side, it would drop quickly into that low-pressure spot 
onto the water, churning the waves, churning the water, churning the air until the boats were being ripped apart. And now even these experts are basically saying, Master, we're about to die. Now I like to fish, but I'm definitely not an expert fisherman. I've sailed a little bit, and I am absolutely not an expert sailor. In fact, I remember when I was about 14 years old, just to, just to try to commiserate with the disciples a little bit, a friend of my dad's invited me to go sailing. His boys knew how to sail. They had a few small sailboats, and they thought that I should learn too, me and my brother. Okay, sure, why not? Sailing can be fun. So we get there to, to a little pond, probably just about the size of, of this one out here, and they sit us down on the shore, and they're telling us how to sail this little boat. Okay, so you do this thing and you do that thing and, and when it's time to turn, you turn the thing that moves the thing and the sails will move and... Got it, right. Yes, totally understand. Okay, then we get out on the water and it's just me in the back of the boat and my dad's friend is, is in the bow and he tells me everything again. We're going to go straight across then we're going to turn around, you do the thing, you turn the thing, it moves the thing. Got it, you said that on the shore, I understand, I'm ready to go. And we had a beautiful day, like... The sun is shining, there's a gentle breeze, like perfect time for a novice to, to learn how to do this. And so we go across this, this little pond, this little lake, and it was smooth sailing. I mean, sailing in a straight line, that is about the easiest thing in the world. I got this. We get to the other side. Okay, now turn around, he says. Yeah, the thing with the thing, right? Apparently, if you turn the thing the wrong way the sail will whip across the bow of the boat. I turned the thing the wrong way. Boom! <laughs> and if he did not have the reflexes of a cat, my dad would have one less friend today. I mean, it was shocking to me how much even just a gentle breeze, just a light breeze across this pond, it was shocking to me how much impact it had on that sail and that little boat and honestly could have cost him his life. I think they are still friends. They did invite me one other time to go sailing, and I did not go. <laughs> I was a quitter, I guess. But think now about these disciples, because they're not facing a gentle breeze. Even though they are experts, this is a storm like even they have never seen before, to the point that they believe they are going to die. Master, they say, we are perishing. Do you know what that feels like? You know what it feels like when a storm comes up that quickly in your life? You see, here's the thing that I, I noticed as I was studying this. If you look at this passage, and if we're focused on the red letters, in these four verses, Jesus only says two things. Let us cross over to the other side of the lake, and where is your faith? And it's so easy when we know the whole story to look at these disciples and say, you had God in the boat and you were worried about it? But they don't have the whole story. And the truth is, in our lives, we don't either. I don't know what it is that you might have brought into the chapel at Horizon Community Church with you today. I don't know what you might be facing that feels like a storm I don't know if it feels like a gentle breeze, but it sure is whipping that sail around. I don't know if it has surprised you like nothing has before and you feel like your boat is being crushed and you are going to die. But I do know that we want to have faith in that storm. But 
how do we do it? See, I think what's really interesting to me is that what the disciples needed was to have faith in between the red letters. If we're going to weather the storm, we need faith in between the red letters. In between what Jesus saying, what he will do, and Jesus doing it, in those moments, as we walk through those storms, we need faith. Because if you're trying to figure out how to have faith in a storm, the first part is the easy part, right? Get into a storm. Has ever happened to you? you know, maybe it's a, a phone call that you didn't expect to get, and a piece of your world falls apart over that phone call. Maybe it's a diagnosis that you weren't even thinking about, let alone worried about. And just like that, things have changed. Maybe it's a relationship that you've invested in for years. And it feels like all of a sudden they have betrayed you. The reality is some of the storms in our lives, if our life is that boat in that water, some of the storms that come upon us are, are storms that we've caused. You know, there's something we did, some choice that we made, some mistake that we made, some bad idea. And there are also a lot of storms that just happen to us. Well, I believe that Jesus is the one who calms storms, and I believe that we can have faith in the midst of that, in between these red letters. Because if you see in verse 22, what he had already told them, he said, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. He told them, like, like this is the plan, this is where we're going. But again, they don't know what's happening. They haven't read the chapter. They don't know this passage. And so on top of that, it says he fell asleep. Jesus goes down into the base of the boat, and he's sleeping. Well, why not, right? In fact, this is one of the really cool moments that we see that when we think about our Christology, what we believe about Jesus, that he is fully God and fully man. That's why he can stand in the gap for us. That's why he could make the sacrifice, pay the price on behalf of humanity because he was fully human, and he's showing it right here. Jesus is tired. You've been journeying through Luke with us. You know as he's healed people, cast out demons, teaching, it says just a chapter ago that he went throughout every city bringing the good news of the kingdom and he's exhausted. And we're just going to the other side and these guys are experts. Why not take a nap, catch a few Z's, get a couple winks? But wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All well and good, but, but then it says a windstorm came down in the lake and they were filling with water and they were in jeopardy. Literally, that word refers to the peril of death. And when they come to him, they still have to wake him up? He's, he's still asleep. Now, you might not say this, but do you ever feel like Jesus is sleeping in the middle of your storm? You ever have those moments where it feels like he's just not doing anything he's not saying anything and, and, and you know he's Lord and you know you're supposed to trust him but, but right now in this moment it feels like you are alone and you don't know what is happening here and you wonder if he even sees you this is what the disciples felt like so that they come to him they wake him saying master, master we are perishing well to weather the storm to have faith in the storm 
I think the first thing that the disciples needed that we need to is to remember that God is with you in a storm. Right? They had God literally physically with them in the boat. But they were acting like they didn't. I mean, think about this. It, it's Jesus. You remember when Jesus was born? You remember the beginning of the book of Luke. It said, his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Right there in the boat. Listen, no matter what storm you are facing, God has told you that he wants to be with you. If you are a follower of Christ, if you say, God, my faith is in you, I believe that you are the only one who can bring me through this, you will not look around and discover that he forgot about you. You will not look around and discover that he tried to get there but didn't make it in time. He has promised you he will be with you. It is one of the greatest themes throughout the whole of Scripture that God is constantly working, even when we run the other way, to make a way to be with us in the Garden of Eden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, through his word, in the actual physical person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus left, he sent the Spirit of God to dwell in every believer, and when he comes back, he is setting up an eternal kingdom where we'll be in his direct presence, and we will not even have need for a son because his glory is shining all around us. He wants to be with you, and he promises he will. We remember that God is with us in the storm. Because in those moments, we are probably asking these kinds of questions. What is he doing? Why isn't he doing anything? I keep praying. Why can't I hear anything? Well, for the disciples and for us, I think there's a couple questions we're thinking about. Do I have faith that the Lord is in control even when it seems like he's not doing anything? Even when it seems like I can't hear him saying anything? Is it possible that he is doing something? Is it possible that although Jesus was asleep, he wasn't just asleep, but that he had a plan even for this moment. In fact, the second question you see up there is, is one that I, I didn't typically ask myself, but somebody recently brought me this question, that, that in those moments, instead of asking, why is this happening? Or where is God? To instead ask, how will God bring himself glory through this? If God is the God that this book says he is, if God is the God that, that we want to believe he is, then we know that he is doing something for our good and for his glory. So what if the question was, how will, bring, how will God bring himself glory through this? That question actually was given to me by my dad in uh, probably about, well, some of you have heard me share this, but two holiday seasons ago, uh, my aunt, my dad's sister, ha had one of these storms that came down quickly. Wasn't feeling good, had some stomach pain. Finally, it gets to the point you say, you know, I better go to the emergency room. And she finds out it is not stomach pain, it is cancer. It is stage four. And she battled it for a number of months. And she died this past Thanksgiving week. Now, I love my aunt. And I remember when this happened, asking all of those questions. Why is this happening, God? 
Why to Aunt Lynn? I mean, listen, I'm a pastor. People ask me these questions and then I help us all understand, oh, well, that, you know, think about it this way and remember these verses and let's pray together. I know all that stuff. That is what I believe. I have that faith. And yet, when that storm hits, when that water is churning, when those waves are so strong, when those sails whip across the bow, tear apart, and you're going down, in that moment of crisis, those are the questions that come up in us. You know, his disciples wondering why he's not doing anything. And so I remember after first hearing that diagnosis, trying to process this with God, not even knowing how to pray, and just thinking about the storm that she was going through and the storm that my uncle was going through with her and trying to figure all of this out, and I thought, I, I better call Dad. And, and Dad's going to need me to be strong for him. This, this is his sister, and his little sister. And so I called him, I said, Dad, how you feeling? He says, well, you know, we just have to trust God in these moments. I, I know, Dad, but you're, you're hurting, are you? Because why would God let this happen? And why, and why is it happening to Lynn? And I start breaking down, and he's still being strong. <laughs> and I tell you, it, it was a picture for me because he had just gotten the same news. He left me the voicemail that I found out, and, and I know he's thinking about the same thing. And his faith was not because he knew where it would end up. His faith was not sort of that faith in faith or that power of positive thinking. Well, don't worry, Drew. I'm sure everything will be okay. Well, don't worry, Drew. I'm sure God will take care of our family. Well, don't worry, Drew. I'm sure, I'm sure she'll get better. His faith was that God knew what he was doing. And he, asked, he told me, instead of asking, why is this happening? Why don't we ask the question that Lynn is asking? How is God going to glorify himself through this? I tell you, my, my heart went still because I knew... Oh, that is, that is the God I know. That, that, that is the God I trust. Okay, I'll, I'll try to pray that way. And it was amazing to watch my aunt as she went on that journey. Really, the journey of her entire life was, was kind of about that question. When I wake up today, how can I be a part of God getting glory for whatever happens today? And she went through that disease. Every nurse that she met, every doctor that she met, talking to them, teaching them, telling them the God that she trusted in. And people would ask her questions like, if you believe in this Jesus, then why isn't he healing you? And she got an opportunity to tell them things like, because I believe that there is a life that is greater than this life, and if this is the end of my earthly life, I know that he's bringing me to something eternal. And all the way through her journey, we saw God glorified. In fact, I believe that even... My ability to share this with you is how her legacy goes beyond her life and her God continues to be glorified by what he did in her, by the salvation and the promise that he kept to my Aunt Lynn that right now she is in glory with her God. You, know, you may have a story just like that. You may have a storm just like that. You know, as I prepared to even teach this passage, you know, sometimes these moments happen. You, you, you sit down with your Bible and you say, God, what's in here? What, what, what do you want to teach me before I ever pretend that I could help somebody else understand it? And, and I noticed in here some of these things. Oh, Jesus only speaks twice. And look at the questions they're asking. And, and really started to take hold of it and thinking, what, what a great God who has this kind of power, this kind of authority, who cares for us this way. And then I got a phone call. And that phone call created a storm for me. And I'm like, I have to set down this passage to go take this thing that starts this storm and then Okay, trying to clear my head because I was working on this thing and 
all of a sudden I'm looking at it a little bit differently, right? Because sometimes you sit in a room like this and you think, well, that may be helpful someday in case I ever get into a storm. Yes, it will. <laughs> or you may be sitting here this morning saying, you have no idea the storm that I got into the middle of yesterday. I believe that God would speak to us in this storm, through this storm. I, I even shared some of this with a friend, and his storm was that in his relationship with his wife, she has spent months, months deciding if she feels like leaving him or not. And they're trying to repair, but it feels so one-sided, and why isn't God healing this thing? I've been praying for months, and how do I glorify him in the middle of a relational storm? You know, I think that's why in verse 24 the disciples feel so strongly that as they came to him and awoke him saying, Master, we are perishing. You know, they're in a real physical storm and we experience those too even as we experience the emotional and spiritual storms. And this is how Jesus responds. It says, He arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased and there was a calm but he said to them, where is your faith? There's something interesting here because it's, it's almost as though he rebukes nature, a demonstration not only of his humanity but of the fact that he is God, that he controls even the universe around us. But there's also something of a rebuke for the disciples. Where is your faith? He says to them. Now if you've been a follower of Christ for any amount of time, this may just be me, but I'll bet it's you too. We have those moments where we need to hear that question from him. When he rebukes us a little bit, when he calls us back and says, where is your faith? And I know I've had those moments where I say, God, what's going on? And God, what about this? And I don't know what's happening here. And it's as if he asks me in that moment, where is your faith? Was your faith in the fact that you felt like you were in control? Was, the fa was your faith in your job going well? Is your faith in your family going well? Where is your faith really and right now? Where is it before you get into the storm and what happens to it in the storm because eventually you will come out of the storm and where will your faith be? You know, I think to be able to answer that question, because that's reasonable, right? They are about to die, right? The storms are real, it's not as if we're just being emotional and God's rolling his eyes. Where is your faith? In fact, I don't even think it's really an angry rebuke as much as it is just he wants them so badly to get this. And he doesn't rebuke them and send them to the ocean depths. Where is your faith? You might as well sink. He calms the storm. He rescues them. and says, now, where is your faith? See, I think the second thing we need to have faith in the storm is to remember his words in the storm. Remember his words in the storm. At the beginning of this story, he told them, let's go to the other side. Now, they wouldn't have taken that as like a great prophecy and a mighty promise. But hey, Jesus said this is where we're going. And Jesus does what Jesus wants to do. Jesus is doing the will of his Father every day on earth, and if he says the next part of my ministry is on the other side, then, then that's where we're going. But how do we remember his words? Right, first, we have to hear them, right? In fact, if you flip back in this very chapter of Luke, 
I think it is no small wonder that this is the one that began with the parable of the soil on how we hear the word of God and what we do with it or if it's taken away from us, stolen from us, choked out by our concerns and our anxieties. And after that, he goes through several stories where he keeps bringing back this idea of be careful how you hear. He even says, my mothers and brothers, it's not so much by blood, it's those who hear my words and put them into practice. Exactly what Jesus is doing right now. He spoke these words, he's putting them into practice, and he's reminding them, is this not what I just said? How do we hear what he tells us? You know, I love that I have people in my life who can kind of speak that, let's call it a reminder, even though it's probably a rebuke sometimes, <laughs> that I need to listen to God's word. My wife is, is just, she is a gift for this because I process out loud and I will just like follow my wife around the house. Yeah, but Melissa, this thing over here and that thing over there and I'm worried about this thing, but what if that thing? And there are times where she just turns around to me and says, I think you need to go read your Bible come on, <laughs> like what do you say to that, right? And it's not even a cheap shot because she's right. You know, she knows that there are words in here. What's that stuff about cast your cares upon him? And what's that stuff about God arms me with strength? And where did all those things go in this moment? Where is my faith? I don't know. I think you need to go read your Bible. Okay. <laughs> I think my daughter has begun to inherit this from her too. And so God has given me a number of gifts that I just get to have people speak that way into my life. And I love it. And you know what? The disciples had this opportunity too. There was something that God had spoken centuries before that if they heard his word, and I believe they did, they could have recalled in this very moment. Because there is something known as the fisherman's psalm. It is Psalm 107. And this was so popular that if they were good little Jewish boys, guys like you know, Andrew, Peter, James, John, these guys who lived on the water, honestly, even if they weren't that good of Jewish little boys, every sailor knew this psalm because this is like the one that's about them. In fact, it's still popular today with sailors worldwide. There's even a monument outside of Boston. I visited my brother there once. It's called the Gloucester Fisherman's Memorial. And it was set up to commemorate the deaths of anyone who had died at sea in that place from 1623 to 1923, in a really dangerous place where these kinds of storms came up. But if you can read the inscription that's on there, it's actually the first line of this part of Psalm 107 that's known as the Fisherman's Psalm. It says, They that go down to the sea in ships. Now I want you to hear this. Because I believe that the disciples would know this. Now, I don't know if they're thinking it in the moment because there's kind of a crisis going on around them. <laughs> but think about Luke 8 and listen to Psalm 107. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens in their ships. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro. They stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. You see what's happening here? 
Jesus is not just sleeping in the boat. Jesus is fulfilling Psalm 107 right before their eyes. The one that they would have prayed before they went out on great merchant ships to say, Lord, protect us as you did in Psalm 107. We know you are the one with the power and the might. Oh, Lord, watch over us as we go down to the sea to do our business. He is fulfilling it, the words of the Lord in their lives right now. In fact, if you line up those two psalms next to each other, if you line up Psalm 107 and Luke 8, you can see how it is like thought for thought, line for line, in places even word for word, that Jesus is living out these words of God. Did they remember his words? I'll tell you what, I am convinced that even if they didn't in this moment, in Luke 8, by the time we get to Luke 24, I guarantee you that they did, because look at what this says. This is one of my favorite parts in like the entire book of Luke. This is after Jesus' resurrection. So when he died and they began to question if, if all of this was really what they understood it to be, then after his resurrection, he appears to them again beside the lake. He calls them over. They all, they all gather around. They're frying fish. They're having breakfast. And it says that he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. I love this. Can you just imagine as they each take a bite of fish and Jesus says, guys, Psalm 107? Remember that day on the lake? Guys, Psalm 107. (laughs) And they just praise the Lord, right? See, I I love this. This is what I call like the joy of discovery. That when you're studying God's word and there's times where you read it and and it doesn't make a lot of sense or there's times where you read it and you just kind of move on and you read something else and then there are moments where it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, what, what was that thing he said? And it all starts to come together. Right? This is what Jesus was here to do, to reveal who God is to us through his word as Jesus fulfilled it. Now, you know, that's a core part of Horizon's vision here. That's why verse-by-verse teaching is so important to us. That's why we do this equipping service. That's why we have women's studies and men's studies that that dig into this book and take a deeper and deeper dive to understand who he is and what he said because when you get into your storm, I guarantee you he has a word for you right here. That when you feel like you can't hear him and you don't know what you're saying, what he's saying, he has said it right here. In fact, I would encourage you if a study with, with other men, other women is not something that you've been a part of before, it is so valuable. Because one of the things that happens is you get into a study, and, and maybe you're reading Luke 8, and, and some other guy in the group says, hey, did you guys know about Psalm 107? No, do tell. <laughs> you get the benefit of other people's experience with God, other people's journey through Scripture. In fact, Psalm 107 has been on my radar for like two years and I want you to read it later in, in, in your free time. Read the whole thing, because even if you are not a fisherman or a sailor, you will find yourself in Psalm 107. 
It has like a bunch of different examples of people who get into different kinds of storms. Some of them they cause themselves. Some of them happened to them. But in every single one, God shows up. God delivers. God shows mercy and the people rejoice. And a couple years ago I was reading this. I found myself somewhere else in the psalm and kind of latched onto that. And then really, even just for the last few months, we've had one of the verses out of Psalm 107. Uh, verse 9 has been on our refrigerator. What a great thing to remember. And then I'm studying for this passage, and I'm listening to a message from one of the guys that I like to listen to, and he points out that there's this thing in 107 called the Fisherman's Psalm. And I'm like, where? <laughs> what? And you go back and look at it, and to just feel that moment when God opens your understanding to his word and to what he is doing. It's no wonder then, when he asked them in verse 25, where is your faith? That they were afraid. That they marveled. That they were in awe, saying to one another, who can this be? Because if they remember the fisherman's psalm, they know that there is only one who calms the storm. And he is not a man. He is not only a man. He is the Lord. They've seen this Jesus heal people. They've seen this Jesus teach powerfully. Now they have seen this Jesus do something that only the Lord can do. And you may think to yourself, well, that is nice for them because Psalm 107 is for them. But listen, if you are a follower of Christ, these promises are for you. These fulfillments are for you. In fact, Psalm 18 tells us that every word of God is flawless. It is a refuge to those who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord and who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength. In Psalm 1, it says that you can be like a tree living by streams of water because you trust in the God who Psalm 2 says the one who sits in heaven laughs even when all the kings of the earth set themselves against him. That's why in Psalm 4 I can both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And when our storms are painful, when they are not only difficult but they make us weep, Psalm 6 tells us that the Lord has heard the voice of your weeping. And Psalm 8 says that he is mindful of you. So that even when I feel like Psalm 13 and I feel like crying out as that psalm does, how long will you forget me, O Lord? Forever? Remember also Psalm 17 that says he keeps you as the apple of his eye. And Psalm 22, which are the very words of Christ on the cross as he paid the price for your forgiveness so that you could have this faith, this relationship with the Lord God of the universe who in Psalm 23 is called our shepherd so that even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death we will fear no evil for you are with me. We remember that he is with us in the storm. We remember his words in the storm. We remember his power in the storm. And so I think the last thing is that as I look back at this passage, you know, I said a little bit ago that Jesus only says two things here. 
there are two red-letter statements. But by the time we get to the end, in verse 25, there are also two questions. One is asked by the disciples, and one is asked by Jesus. Jesus asks them, where is your faith? And they ask, who can this be? I would invite you this morning, whether you are going through a storm right now, whether you have been through one, or the next time you go through one, ask yourselves these two questions. I've begun to do this for myself, and it is shocking how clear, how quickly it makes things clear. And really, you have to ask the second one first. Who is this? I sat with a group of guys a couple of weeks ago as, as uh, one of our board members here was describing for us how to just kind of take somebody on a journey through the life of Jesus and let them explore and discover who he is. Because that was kind of the key component is that every single one of us, eventually, we have to answer that question. Who is Jesus? Is he a great teacher? Is he a great man? Do I believe he is Lord? Because until these two questions have the same answer, we're not going to make it through those storms. Until we can say, who is this? The Lord. Where is your faith? The Lord. That's how we have faith in the storm. That is what brings us through it. Because the reality is, and you know this, I don't have to tell you this, he doesn't always save us out of the storm. Sometimes he saves us through it. And I believe that he has given each and every one of you, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a son or daughter of the living God, he has promised you that he is with you through his spirit who dwells in you to give you his divine power that you need for everything in life and godliness. So that no matter what storm you are going through, you know because his disciples would see more storms. One of the last things that he ever said to Peter was not, don't worry, it's smooth sailing from here on out. One of the last things he ever said to Peter was the kind of death by which he would glorify God. Because here's the reality. If this life is that boat in that storm, eternity is the other side. No matter what happens to us in this place, no matter what breaks, no matter what falls apart, we know that he is with us and he will bring us to the other side that he has guaranteed our eternity. In fact, he told them that at the beginning, let us cross over to the other side of the lake and if we just sneak into verse 26, it says, then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. They made it. He got them there. And he will get you there. You know, last night we celebrated baptisms here at Horizon. People who had said that they want to put this kind of faith in the person of Jesus Christ because they believe that he is Lord. That is the work of God. That is the fruit that he bears in this place. But I wanted to give us an opportunity to respond too. Because something happens in Psalm 107 that didn't happen in Luke 8. The people celebrated God. They worshipped him. And the difference in those two passages is not their circumstances. It's their response and so hear this from the end of, of that part of Psalm 107. It says, Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness 
and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. Hey, that's where we are right now. (laughs) And praise him in the company of the elders. So as we close today, we're going to sing a song together called Good to Me, about the goodness of God. And whether you have been through a storm, whether you feel like you are in one right now, as we sing this song, would you just take this moment to reflect, to give him your storm, to answer those questions, who is the Lord and where is your faith, and to sing this song of thanksgiving to his goodness. Lord, we do that now in your name and in the name of Jesus because we believe you are the one who calms our storms. Lord, we thank you for your power, for displaying your glory, and we ask that you would do it even now today as we lift up this song to you. Amen.